This is The Deal with Nisim Black. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, what a special day it is when I get to interview a dear friend, an actress. Yes, you recognize her from her role in I Am Legend, one of the directors from the fantastic series Blackish, Dear White People, and Scandal, the producer of an upcoming HBO series called Showtime with Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s, and most importantly, an all-around superb human being who I'm so lucky to know and have the opportunity to work with myself. Sally Richardson, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to jump into this question because you and I, we've spoken before. Now, Hollywood is, it's a crazy place. I was talking to somebody recently who's a writer, and he told me Hollywood's not like it used to be. You know, now there's like everything switched to the streaming, and it's not so easy for the big shot Mm -hmm. actors to call in and just say, hey, I need you to do this for me. It's like now the corporations are bigger and all these other things. But you knew a different Hollywood even when you were off camera. So when you were growing up, who were some of your role models, the people that you looked up to and became your mentors, possibly? And do you know of anything that you could share with us that they told you that was probably the biggest thing for your career? Well, you know, what's funny is I grew up in Chicago. None of my parents were really in the entertainment business. My mother worked in recording studios. And I think that that's what first got, you know, the bug for me as far as the business in any way, you know. So I honestly had to find my way by myself and move to L.A. by myself. Pretty much found at the time I had a manager in Chicago who did help me get an agent in L.A. But then once I went there, I just had to kind of stumble along by myself. And I think that would really probably be be the big difference that there is now. There weren't a lot of people for me to look up to. There weren't a lot of people of color in the business as agents or managers or in powerful positions who were those people who could be my mentor. And the difference I see now are that there are more people kind of like now in the position that I am lucky to be in who are there to be those voices And that's what I've been able to do now is that I can mentor a lot of new filmmakers, you know, women and people of color coming up behind me because I'm now in place and I didn't have that. Right. Wow. That's amazing. That's crazy. Like, I would have thought that, like, somebody would have, like, came and took you under wings. So you really had to grind. That's what you're telling me. No, I didn't have anybody uh, take me under their wings. (laughs) That's crazy. There are many mistakes and wrong decisions I probably made. But I personally say that some of those things was God protecting me from doing certain jobs. Like, there are some big acting jobs that... Um, I probably turned down or didn't get. But if I had gone in that direction, I may not have found what my true purpose is as far as work and being the director because I would have been too far over here and not going in this direction. So I just kind of follow, you know, the path that's in front of me and see what happens. (laughs) Amazing. I I think we're on the same page with that one for sure. So talk to me about one of my favorite movies 
that I know I reference a lot when you and I talk about low down dirty shame. Now, I've always <laughs> had this question, you know, like when you're watching other people get interviewed and you're like, how come they don't ever ask this question? So my question is working, obviously, with Keenan Ivory Waynes and, and anybody from that family is just nuts. Now, being on set like that, now you've done both comedies and drama, romances, and everything you've done. So how hard is it to keep a straight face on set when you got people that are just complete clowns on the other end like how much film are you wasting while you're doing these these films I want to know <laughs> with those guys and some other films that I've been in you get co- uh, comedians in a room and a lot of times some of the bit parts he would hire comedians you know in those spots too right. <laughs> and they just start going so there's definitely some wasted time and and, and Keenan was always brilliant and always you know obviously it's been a long time but he always encouraged you to come up with lines and change things on the spot uh, because he wants that funny there and that, you know, sometimes that's in the spontaneity of it. But I had a great time. That film was, you know, probably my second or third biggest job in L.A. And, um, you know, well, I look back at it now, I was still a kid and just enjoying the ride. And I still have memories to know exactly where I was on certain days. And it was a big deal for me at the time. Talk about the fighting scene, though. How many times, like, when you're on set? Right. Okay, so if you're not laughing every five seconds, which I could, I, I mean, I'm just a, you know, I got an easy funny bone. My question is, at that point, how many times, like, you get slugged up in the middle of it? Are you accidentally hit somebody or do, or is there really just a stunt scene going on and we really think people are fighting and it's not happening? Well, it's definitely really a stunt scene. But Jade and I did that fight scene. We had doubles, but we were, you know, we were young enough at the time and game enough and athletic enough that we were able to do those scenes together and we did the fight scenes together. So most of, I would say, I mean, it's been a long time. I'm sure they brought the doubles in for a second, but most of that scene is me and Jada doing it. Even when she like flips me over by my hair, I think at some point, that was me. Um, And we didn't hit each other, you know, and obviously it is over and over because when you're doing a fight scene, you know, you have different camera angles, which means a different setup. There's a mat on the floor so that you can fall on that. And then they fake it on the ground. But that was me and Jada. We did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. You say nobody got hurt in the process. Nobody got, j- maybe just some feelings, but. Uh. <laughs> okay, good to know. Good to know. So that brings me p- to my next question. So the Alec Baldwin case is all over media. Everybody's talking about this crazy case. When you hear of stuff like this in your industry, does it like scare you? Has it changed the way people are doing things? Like right now you're in production, I'm sure, on a bunch of different things. Like has everybody stopped and get said, hey, we got to figure some things out. Right now, oh, I just finished shooting this uh, show for HBO, uh, which is about the Lakers in the 80s. We just had a gun sequence and two of them, but there was protocol that was not followed. And I've been doing this a long time. And when they bring a gun on set, it's announced that it's on the set. Anybody who has to be around the gun, the prop guy comes up, he opens it, he shows you nothing's in there. He, our prop guy would show you, put it up in the air, the boom, 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 to just let you know that nothing's coming out of it, that he can go through all the rounds. Everyone looks into it. So you feel comfortable. Like we had one time the gun, he was trying to do the fake, you know, like just do it to make sure in a jam because we had a lot of times the reason why they have things in the chamber is that if you're really tight on the gun, some smart person, you know how people really watch and pick stuff out. You can tell if there's no 
rounds in there, even if they're supposed to be fake. So, because it looks empty. So that's why they usually put stuff in there so that it looks real. But we were having a problem. It wasn't, it was jamming, even though it wasn't anything in it. And the guy was like, nope, we just took everything out. I was like, if it looks empty, it looks empty. I don't care. Nobody's going, not going to have any issues. So I just think it, there was some really bad protocol that was not followed. And uh, I don't know what the changes were going to be, but uh, people made big mistakes, big and uncaring mistakes. You know, it like people just, they were being negligent and just cavalier with protocols and people safe and somebody's going to pay for it. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, you know, at this point, from what you just told me, it doesn't seem like people have to make some new precautions, but you're saying it's pretty much standard. This is what people do on set anyway when there's a gun. And the only thing you need to make sure is that protocol continues to happen. Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll come up with new things. I was just reading an article. People wonder why they actually use real guns instead of right. fake guns because we do so much stuff that's fake. So usually when you're in, re- in rehearsal, there is a fake gun. The thing is, the reason why they bring a real one in is that the fake one looks fake. It doesn't have the the same shine. It doesn't have the metal to it. It's a completely different look. Though I'm sure at some point they should be able to replicate a real looking gun that's not real, that doesn't actually work. Right. Got it. So you've been in the entertainment industry now for a long time. Uh, We're not going to say how how long. (laughs) It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while, right? (laughs) Take me through the journey and that process coming from on the screen to off the screen. And like, how does that feel? You know, a, a while back, I was interviewing one of my really good friends, Amari Stoudemire, right? He goes from being on the court to now being a coach behind the court and almost doing it at a time when you're like, man, I can steal ball. Right. You know what I mean? I can still get out there and I can ball. And obviously, you don't lose acting skills. So I want to know what that transition is like. And do you sort of feel like, man, I can still lace up my cleats or, you know? <laughs> It's funny, when I started directing and really focusing that, okay, I'm going to take some time off and really jump completely into directing, because I felt that that was the best way for me to learn as much, to move quickly um, up the ranks to doing the kind of shows that I wanted to do and for people to really take me serious, you know, that it wasn't something I was trying to dabble in. But I didn't really know that this path I had started was going to stop me from acting. I, in my mind, I was like, oh, because I was on a show at the time, I'll act, you know, half of the year. And then, you know, the other half, other six months of the year, I'll uh, direct. And, but directing just picked up so much for me. All of a sudden I look at five years later. And the only thing that I've acted in is that if I was directing something and there was a part, I was like, oh, I'll just do it. So do I still want to act? I think I still have the bug a bit. I, the more I'm around really amazing talent and on some of these shows, like these shows that I'm working on for HBO, they're written so well. The caliber of the show is just everything I would ever want to do. That makes me more hungry for it. And, and maybe that'll happen again, right? But I love to direct. I found the thing that I am really, really good at. And other people seem to agree with me. So well, <laughs> obviously, um, <laughs> HBO deal comes with it. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but one day, one day I'll act in something again. Um, the, the right thing will come. And I, I figure I've, I've started to put that energy out into the world. Sometimes once you start putting it out there and praying on it, it'll come to you if it's supposed to. Exactly. Exactly.
So how do you incorporate that, the faith and, and, and religion to your everyday life. So, like, Hollywood always seems to be like it's the opposite, you know, of faith. Mm-hmm. It just is what it is. Call a spade a spade. The, the question is, is, like, how do you do that through your life and your career? You have a family. Um, has it doubled your faith? Has it lessened your faith? Tell me how, you, how you're able to incorporate both of them. Well, I don't think that I could have made it through this industry without faith. Right. Because... You have to have faith or because it breaks you down so much, you know, when you're not working, when things aren't going your way. For me personally, if you don't have some sort of grounding in your life and accountability, and that's what God is for me, it's accountability. And knowing that, like I said before, some of the things I didn't get, some of the paths I thought I should be on and that there was a plan for me. And luckily, I have very good friends who have the same sort of faith. So they're like, Sally. That's not God's plan for you. I know you're upset. And maybe God's plan for you is in 10 years. And so I just take my time. The first few no's are just the first few no's. I mean, the right yes is going to happen. Um, I also am very lucky to have been with, the, you know, my husband and I have been together 24 years. I have two kids. Um, <laughs> I know that's like 100 years here. Um, but, you know, that keeps me grounded. I'm a mom, you know, I, I'm a wife. And at the end of the day, when I come home, that is the most important thing. The things I do love what I do and it does, you know, help feed our family. But at the end of the day, I come home like my last show. I've been, I've been here in town, which has been fabulous. What do I do? I wake up early. I make like a crock pot dinner or something, or I bake chicken early. You know, I get food ready for everyone before I leave. Ladies and gentlemen, do you hear that? She cooks. (laughs) That's crazy. I cook a lot. My my and my son uh, requires it. Mom, are you going to make me some eggs before I leave? You know, especially when I'm home, I jump in full on, take care of everyone in the house. Like this morning before I did this, I'm like, honey, can you drop the laundry down? Let me get a load in before I do this. You live a normal life. Your normal person is what you're telling me. (laughs) Completely normal. (laughs) There are no housekeepers. I mean, there is a housekeeper every once in a while, but there are no maids doing the everyday stuff. Mom is doing that. Mom is doing the shopping. Mom's doing all of that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So everything is you. It's a beautiful thing to hear because, you know, I've had friends who've gone into the entertainment industry and they like don't come back the same you know what I mean so to hear that's very very encouraging so who have been some of your favorite people that you work with either as first off like what's your favorite role that you played what's the favorite character that you played I would say as far as acting I don't think I've done it yet Oh, honestly, you you know what? You're still in my lines. I'm starting to think you're still in my lines <laughs> because every time somebody asks me, what's your favorite song? I say, it's a song I haven't haven't made yet. And that's uh, I, I'm starting to I'm starting to think you're taking some things out of my playbook over here. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I, but I think that's because we both understand that we have more to give. Right. And we haven't and we haven't done our best. I think as far as acting for me, um, I I wish I had had the kind of director that I am with people. I was always mm. a very good actress. I think there's still greatness in me to be had. And I don't necessarily think I was given those roles um, to be the best actress that I could be. So I don't think that's there yet. Right. I, and and then what's funny is as far as directing, it really becomes Every show that I've been doing has gotten bigger and bigger and kind of becomes my new favorite thing. 
like the last two shows I just finished for HBO, it's the Lakers show and then the Gilded Age, which is, you know, completely different. It's uh, it's 80s L.A. and then the other one is late 1800s New York. Couldn't be more different, completely different challenges, but both really amazing, huge projects, learn so much. So right now I'd say those are my biggest projects. But then right before we got on, I was looking at the trailer for the Wheel of Time that I did right before that for Amazon. And I remembered what a fantastic time I had doing that. So I think, you know, every new one is the best one. (laughs) And I wouldn't even tell you the ones that I hated because I don't like to say that kind of stuff. But um, but there's been a few that I'm like, "Mm, wouldn't be going back there. (laughs) Listen, listen, you wouldn't be great at what you did if you didn't have that also, too. You have to take both the good and the bad. Now, thinking about that, because you've been on both sides of it, right? The question is now, do you see now a whole bunch of things that maybe you wish, like you're telling me, I wish that I was a director. Um, or I had a director like me. Now that you are a director like you, are you able to fill in those spots that you see like, oh, I made this mistake before. Now that I'm I'm older, I'm wiser, I can tell this actor what to do and what not. Well, there are definitely some actors, and I would say mostly offset when I see that they're having certain issues on set. You know, just say simple things about being late, certain attitudes that'll happen on set people that I think may have some sort of substance problems, especially if they're young, younger guys, I'll pull them over to the side and go, Hey, these are your responsibilities. This is what you should be looking for. This is what you should not be doing. And this is going to jeopardize the rest of your life. And so I do pull people to the side and have those kind of conversations because I feel like even if I'm just a guest director and not like it's not something I'm actually producing to, I do think that that is my role and I'm there to help people along this path. The one thing that I think that I do really well at is that I can see people's performances and I know when you've given me everything and I don't stop until I get the performance that I'm looking for. Now, there's some people who at a certain point you go, that's the best they're going to be. But um, <laughs> but there's some people, even the really brilliant people have been around a long time. Sometimes even those people, because they, they're so good, they can kind of phone it in and other people will think it's great and it's good. But I'm looking going, I don't believe you yet. I don't believe you in my gut. You're not making me feel a real emotion while watching you because you're going through the motions. And they're good motions, but they're not brilliant yet. And, um, and, and I'm good at pushing even the biggest people, I think. That's amazing. So I have to ask this question, okay? Okay. What was it like working alongside Will Smith? And the legendary (laughs) cast for I Am Legend. Will's just one of my favorite characters. He's just always been a character. I was like the biggest fan of Fresh Pence, you know, barely when I was a kid, as we all were, right? Well, you know, Will, we all know each other because we all were here in L.A. coming up together. So I knew Will when he was the Fresh Prince before he was, you know, Will, Will Smith. So, and and Jade and I obviously did low down together. So they were married. So. You know, it's almost like going to work with some friends, but Will is who you see on camera and in interviews. He's a generous, really nice man and no attitude, no rudeness to people on the set um, and willing to try anything and takes his craft very seriously. So it is what you see. A good guy, no issues. Best time, still the biggest movie I've ever done. I, I remember there was the sequence when we're going to get on the helicopter uh, where me and my daughter die in it. 
And there were so many extras out there. And I just remember it was the first time I was like, whoa, right, right. <laughs> I'm in a movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I know. I love when I'm on the set and it's like this, it makes you like feel bigger than life when you got the big, you know, most of the videos, I'm not doing that. It's me and a few people and whatever. But when you could go in this 20, like, you know, we go shoot sometimes in Ukraine because you can get like everything for like $2 over there, right? So there's somebody ironed the clothes. It's like a beautiful thing. My question is, though, specifically, let's talk about that scene and scenes like it where you have to die and stuff, right? Right. Do you ever think about, because all the time in my head, I always think about, I'm referencing back to music, Biggie and Tupac used to talk about death all the time and then they died. So I always look at it, music is also too a form of acting. You have to get in a role play right. in order to portray and to be able to give over. Does that ever like make you think like, I don't want to do a lot of dying scenes, you know what I mean? Is that something like you think about? <laughs> No, no, there's no, um, I, I never think it's going to be some correlation in my life. They talked about dying and then they were doing stuff off camera that would make you die. <laughs> when I leave my fake acting scene, I'm going home and I'm making dinner. I'm not calling up people making beasts so that uh, right, right. I get shot later. <laughs> Uh, so, no, I'm not worried about it because I am doing nothing to manifest that future. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it, got it. I just didn't know if it was like a, you know, superstitious thing people have. No, 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 no. They they messed themselves up. <laughs> okay, so before we go, do you have like any role models now? You said you didn't have a lot when you were coming up in the game, but like people that now, whether it's in culture, media, acting, or even someone who nobody's ever heard of before— that has really helped you? I mean, you got to have some mentors at some point in the game, right? Oh, absolutely. There have been many directors who have helped me out tremendously once I was ready to start directing. There is a director called Eric Lonneville, Black director. He's done hundreds of hours of TV. So when I was the first time I was ready to direct, I called him and said, hey, can I shadow you? Which is, you know, like basically he becomes my mentor. I follow him around on the set 24-7 and he taught me. So uh, him, another director, uh, Scott. And then there's a few other people who have now become friends. Like if you look at uh, Mara Brock Akil, who did all the girlfriends shows, Debbie Allen, who, you know, these people are now my friends, but are also the people that I look up to. There's directors like Millicent Shelton, who's a black female director that you wouldn't necessarily know by name, but she's one of those women who paved the way for me to be doing the amount of episodes that I'm doing now. So there's a lot of people behind the scenes that once I started on this new path were definitely there. And, and I can still call them now. If I got in a situation, didn't know what to do, I can call any of these people. Kevin Hooks. I mean, like a lot of... Uh, people of color, directors that people don't know who are there to help me. And not people of color, other directors. You know, it, it, it's not, I have a huge community. I have a, um, a wide rainbow of people who I've worked with who are willing to sit there and help me. So I don't want it to think like, I don't, it doesn't have to be some, it doesn't have to be someone black that I call. And, and sometimes it isn't. 
I just, I have really a wide range of beautiful people who've been wonderfully uh, supportive to me. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Sally. I appreciate having you on. It's good to speak with you again and sharing your wonderful career with us. And I, I want to, we say bench you, but I want to bless you that uh, you should continue to go to new heights and put out amazing content that inspires so many different people in the world. And uh, you should have much satisfaction. You should have a home that is full of peace. We say shalom bayit. You should have shalom bayit. You should have uh, great gratification from your kids. And every single blessing in the book should be in your way. So thank you thank so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yo, you guys, that was an amazing conversation with Sally Richardson Whitfield. I mean, amazing actor, amazing director, producer, uh, someone I know personally, and she's just completely amazing. I think the biggest takeaway for me was that you don't have to be in Hollywood and lose yourself. And that's one of the biggest things that's always portrayed because I think it's so popular to talk about that. And there is a lot of emptiness going on in that world. But you see that there's someone that's able to stick to nuclear family, to stick to her values um, as, a, as a person of faith, and to still be a mom after all this. And I know her personally. I know how much she's working. She's working hard. And at the end of the day, she's still being herself. And it's very, very hard to be true in this world. So because of that, I have a song that I would like to share with all of you. As I always do, leave you with something very, very good. And it's my song, Be True, which is uh, one of my favorite songs, actually, low-key, because I feel like when I wrote this song, it was at this place where I was at this juncture in my life where I really had to realize this is me, and I have to be me no matter what anybody else tells me, no matter what type of influence they may have on my life, and I feel like it's very, very appropriate. So listen to Be True. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and until next time, only go from strength to strength and be strengthened. I just want to be true. Yeah. I gave everything to you. Closer, I approach you. I used to run away. Gave me a cleaner slate. I know I've been feeling some way, but I ain't hiding. I've been crying. See, it's all in my face. See, why you make it so hard for me? Self sacrificing till my heart breaks free. I used to run up the block, but now I've been running with God. I used to run from the shots, but now I shoot to the stars. Gave up my glory for your told him You adore me, I'm unworthy. Give me flames for the game. I ain't rapping. This is poetry. How we finish? Historically, I ain't going nowhere. I wanna be truthful, please come use me. I have so much to share.
Thank you so much for listening to The Deal with me, Nisim Black. This is a Soul Shop original podcast. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. Our producer is Gilad Brownstein. Please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at The Deal with NB. And subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast content. Please share this with your friends so that they can get this raw and riveting stuff from me, yours truly, God's name. I just want to be true. I just want to be true. I just want to be closer. I just want to be